You may remember me telling you um, about, it was about this time last year, I managed to fall over three times. Anyone remember those stories? Yeah, a couple of nods. Um, the first one happened in the church steps down at the far end of the lounge while I was putting coffee grounds on the garden and I slipped and went down on my back and caught the whole of my back. I was then walking the dog one evening when there was ice all over the roads and I fell and smashed my face up. Ooh, that was loud, wasn't it? Smashed my face on um, the pavement and that was just before I was about to play for a concert with Nicola that evening so I went with a big swollen face. The next time was a couple of weeks later I fell on the other side just so that my bruises were all synced up and I was walking the dog and fell in Victoria Park. Just hold that in your mind for a moment. We'll get back to that for a second. The next section of Luke's gospel is a really tricky passage. We're in Luke chapter 8 and Jesus is ministering and he's, he's going to an area across the Sea of Galilee. Sorry, I'm just looking for the clicker. Here it is. And um, he goes across the Sea of Galilee to an area called the Gerasenes and he meets a man who is tormented by evil. And it's a Gentile area. It's quite different to where he's been ministering before. So if you want to find in your Bible, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through to verse 39. They say to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people in the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who brings light even into the most darkest place. And we just pray as we examine what is a really tricky part of Luke's gospel with a scenario that seems so alien to the things we often experience. We just pray, Lord, by your spirit, Would you speak into our hearts, challenge our preconceptions of what the world is like, and just help us to draw near to you in our own brokenness, and to find your healing and restoration. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The reason I mentioned that story again about falling over was the thing that bothered me was not being hurt. That was bad enough. But it was, had anyone seen me? Had I lost basic human dignity? Who likes losing dignity? There won't be a single hand goes up. None of us likes losing dignity. Even our dog, you know, if you laugh at her, she looks ashamed. She doesn't like being made to look undignified. Dignity is something that is really, really important. You know, God cares deeply about human dignity. It's something he's absolutely passionate about. When Jesus ministers on this earth, he never comes and humiliates people. He never laughs at people. He never belittles people. He never breaks people. But he comes to restore what has been robbed by sin and the powers of darkness. God cares deeply about human dignity and well-being. Now, in these verses, we witness a man who has been completely robbed of human dignity. He has been overcome by evil. Just look at what he's like. He's in a pitiful state. He's not able to function even basically in human society. This evil that's controlled him has removed him. And he's guarded, but he is still, um, you know, he still being, goes free, roaming into wild places. And he's a man who is he's not clothed. He doesn't have a home. He's wandering around. He's aimless. He has no dignity left. So Jesus comes off the boat and he encounters this man. He meets him. Now, some people, and it's really interesting, I always like doing a lot of reading round passages, particularly when they're ones like these, because it's really difficult stuff. And so I'm saying, what are people saying about this passage? Now, some people would read this passage and say, well, this passage highlights the naivety of the ancient world. That all this talk about evil spirits and demons, actually, we need to what's called demythologize the Bible. Get rid of this stuff and say that, actually, this is nothing to do with the demonic. This is a man who is um, seriously mentally ill. That that is the analysis. That is the problem. And that we as rationalists need to move to that way of thinking. And so that argument would go, well, here is a man who is very unwell. But actually, that leads to an awful lot of questions that we can't easily answer. Jesus doesn't deal with him as a man who is seriously unwell. He deals with lots of other people who are seriously unwell. This is not one of them. He deals with him as a man possessed by evil. And if we argue with Jesus' diagnosis, what are we doing? We're arguing with the Son of God himself. And we're putting ourselves in the place of the one who can stand over Jesus. Also, if Jesus is wrong, as some writers argue, then his treatment of this man is appalling. To call somebody out who is ill and say this man is possessed by evil is a really terrible thing to do. Now, sadly, over the years, some Christians have got these kind of things very muddled up. And Jesus sees it with great clarity, but as human beings, our discernment is not the same as Jesus's was. And so we need to be very, very careful. Some people over the years have seen mental illness where there is the demonic and the demonic where there is mental illness. And it's very, very important that we follow Jesus' example. You see, many of us in life will experience periods of uh, poor mental health. Many of us will experience times of mental illness. But let me emphasize this. This does not mean that evil is always involved. That does not mean that at all. Untold damage has been done to human beings by Christians, possibly through the best intentions, but labeling things wrongly. 
you know, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because I think it really matters. Um, this is my own personal experience. Back in 2008, 2009, I suffered from two epileptic seizures. And um, it was an absolute shock. Came out of the blue, um, really floored us as a family at the time. I was in my early 30s. Um, two young boys, couldn't drive for 18 months or so. Didn't know what life would hold. Didn't know whether these would be controllable. I had a couple of brain scans, and yes, they found a brain, which was um, very reassuring. But what they also found was at the end of a nerve ending, there's a benign cyst that I have in, a, in my brain that triggers electrical impulses. Once that had been identified, I was put on the right medication, and I've been seizure-free ever since. But do you know what someone came and said to me? Someone said to me, if the medication doesn't work, we will know you've got a demon. Now, that is absolutely appalling. Now, it was said partly in jest, but don't ever go around saying those kind of things to people because it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. If you've been on the receiving end of those kind of comments and it has damaged you to the core, can I encourage you, pray that through with somebody. Don't live with it. Don't live with those kind of words hanging over you, but seek the healing and restoration of Jesus who will bring peace again in that kind of way. It's something I had to work through over quite a period of time. But the reason I also want to talk about a bit about the medical background of this passage is because what was Luke? Anyone remember? There's a gold coin here if you get this right. <laughs> Luke is a physician, and he remains a physician right the way through the Bible. There is no conflict between medicine and deliverance ministry and healing. Luke remains a physician. It says in Colossians 4 verse 14, Paul calls Luke our beloved physician. He's very well thought of as a doctor. Now, Luke is a person of medicine. He may have trained at the medical school in Tarsus, which was one of the best in the ancient world. He'd been trained in Greek medicine. Now, their medical knowledge compared to ours was quite limited. But they did understand things that I think might surprise us. It was the Greeks who first realized that mental health and physical health, there was a correlation between the two. It was the Greeks who first realized that mental illness was a medical condition. And so Luke, writing this gospel, knows the difference between something that is mental illness and something that is demon possession. And so what Luke does is he writes, taking the words of Jesus, the context in which he sees, and says, actually, what we're dealing with here is somebody who is possessed by evil. Somebody who's been wholly overtaken by evil. Verse 27, the man is simply described as demon possessed. I want to take Jesus and Luke very seriously this morning. I believe their diagnosis is in the word of God, and I believe we can have great confidence because of Luke's medical background. Now, people in the, the um, Jewish mind at this point, it was believed, and this is Jesus' worldview, so we have to take this very seriously, that people could become possessed by evil spirits. That is fallen angels, demons, and they could affect people. They could give them strength and power, as we find in this verse's physical um, power. They would give them the ability to see in the future. We see that in the book of Acts. Now, we should never obsess about evil. Never obsess about evil. But we do live in a world where evil is raging around. We do live in a world where the powers of darkness will keep coming at Christians, at all kinds of people, and try to disturb what we're doing. Now, Luke tells us that this man is, is living this horrendous life. He's living a life that is bereft of human dignity. He lives amongst the tombs of the dead. It can't get much lower than that, can it? 
unclothed amongst the tombs of the dead, scraping around in the dirt, having seizures that are not brought on by electrical impulses, but by evil that is controlling him. And when he speaks his name, he names himself as Legion. Legion, it was a Roman term, for a, um, it's a military term for 6,000 men. He would bypass the guard who's next to him and just go wandering off into solitary places. I don't know if you can remember in Luke's Gospel, we've come across this term sinners quite a few times. And it refers to those on the outside of society, those who've broken the law of Moses in a significant way. Well, here we find somebody who's just not on the outside of Jewish society, but this is Gentile society here. This is somebody who just cannot partake in everyday life. So how's he got to this state? How's he got to this state? Well, I've mentioned before as we've gone through Luke, um, and it's the same in all the gospel writers and in lots of ancient literature, actually. We don't often get the backstory. You know, I would love to know how this man got to be in this state. I would love to know what had happened. Had he been involved in the occult? Had he been involved in horrific abuse that was not his fault? Had he been involved in some kind of terrible substance abuse? We don't know. We're simply not told. Now, I'm no expert in, in demonology or anything like that, but from my limited experience, those are the kind of things that may be in a backstory of a person like this. Can I just say, before we move on, and we will get through this passage, please don't worry, if you ever come across a situation where you think that evil is directly involved in your own experience or in the experience of people round about you, can I encourage you, please don't try and tackle it alone. Please don't just dive in there and try and do the things that Jesus does here. Seek the guidance and wisdom of other Christians who are much further down the journey than I imagine most of us are. Um, there is a group that the Northwest Baptist Association have that is all about deliverance ministry, and there are some wonderful people, prayerful people on that group. If ever there are issues, I will always go to them. I know Chris has, has consulted them as well. Um, really prayerful people. So if you ever come across anything, come and talk to one of us as leaders, and we will consult that group, and we will then move that forward. But back to the man, back to this story. I think the fact that there is no backstory to this man offers us something really poignant. You know, often as human beings, we're nosy, aren't we? Or is that just me? We want to know how somebody has got to where they are. And then we're judgmental once we find out how they've got to where they are. Jesus is neither. He comes to this man. He sees him in this pitiful state. And what does he do? He deals with it. And he moves him forward. What a reminder to us that Jesus says, just come to me as you are. Don't come with a load of justifications for how you got there. Come as you are and let's move forward. He doesn't call this man to look back. He simply moves him forward. He sees a human being. He sees a human being who we, he then deals with the situation. And that's how he encourages us to come to him. So today, if you're feeling like, you know, you've got pretense in front of Jesus, he can see right through it. There's no point in it at all. Come to Jesus, warts and all. Come as we are and come and seek the freedom that Christ can bring. Verse 30, he asks the man's name. Who answers? It's not the man, is it? It's the demons that are inhabiting the man. This man can't even control naming himself. So straight away, Jesus deals with the root of the problem. The demons have already acknowledged back in verse 28 who Jesus is. You know, it's never enough to acknowledge who Jesus is. We've got to follow him. We've got to follow him and give our lives to him. But we see here that the Son of God, God incarnate, God in Christ, has power over evil. Total and complete power. 
So these demons, they beg Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. That's the place of chaos, the place of punishment. And so instead, Jesus releases them from the man into a herd of pigs that were nearby, creatures that to the Jewish mind are already unclean. They come out of the man and the pigs and rush down into the water and the pigs are drowned. The Son of God has power. But what a terrible reminder as well that evil is serious. It simply cannot be brushed aside. The evil that is in this man causes other people here to lose their livelihood as those pigs are drowned. So those who are looking after the pigs, they don't know what to do. They run off into the town. They find they go and tell people what has happened. Verse 35, it says, The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Afraid of God? Well, quite possibly. Because when God is at work, when God is really at work, we're never quite sure what he'll do next, who will free next, what his power will do amongst us. So just look at how Jesus has changed this man's reality. He's from an outsider to sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's now clothed. He has now got dignity. He's now able to speak on behalf of himself. Verse 36, it labels him as cured. The word there in the Greek is an amazing word. It means his soul is healed. Not his physical body is healed, but his soul, the inner part of him, is healed by Jesus. He wants to spend time with Jesus, but he's sent away. He's commissioned. Go and tell people what's happened. Go and share the good news that Jesus comes to save people. And so he gets to be an evangelist. What a calling for somebody who's just been freed from demons. Well, let's move on and let's look at what this could mean for us. First thing I want to talk about is not limiting God's power in our lives. In the evangelical tradition, we we rightly do talk a lot about salvation, about being born again, about being saved, about entering into God's eternal presence and so on. Now, I don't want to get too technical this morning, but when I was praying through what to share on this passage, these two words and the Greek words kept coming back to me and about the importance of both these words. If if you know anything about uh, these words... um, I've spelt the second one wrong, so please don't throw anything at me. Um, The first one is soteria, and the second one is sozo. Now, in our Bible, both of those words are translated as salvation. Salvation. Being saved. Being saved. But just let me explain a little bit about these two words. Saved, we understand, you know, we're saved from darkness into light. We're saved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, and we gain eternal life through his finished work on the cross. This is from the story of Zacchaeus. Anyone remember Zacchaeus, the man who went up a tree? And it says, Jesus said to him, today salvation, this is soteria salvation, has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. But the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And this word here means that you pass from one kingdom to another. You go and you're found, you were lost, but now you're found. Let's have a look at the other word that I can't spell. It's an O at the end, just to remind you if you want to look it up later. This word has a richer meaning. It also means the same as soteria, but it means something else as well. Here's a context for it in Luke chapter 7. Remember the woman woman with the alabaster jar? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But that word there is sozo. And it means something slightly different. It means salvation in the same way as soteria, but it also means wholeness. It means healing. It means deliverance. 
If you know the Hebrew word shalom, it's quite similar to that kind of word. It's a really rich word. You see, sometimes I wonder if as Christians in our tradition, we focus so much on the soteria that we forget that God has come to do the sozo as well. That he's come to break into our lives, into our experience, to restore our dignity, yes, to save us from sin, but to do things in our lives that transforms our day-to-day reality. People who, like Zacchaeus, were changed dramatically. People like the woman with the alabaster jar, whose life was turned upside down. And you see, Jesus doesn't push all the issues that we face into eternity and said, just wait till you die and it all gets dealt with. No, some of it he wants to deal with now. You know, if we're facing issues now, there are things that he may want to do now that we have to be open to the Spirit to be at work. Imagine this man, this demon-possessed man, if Jesus had said to him, just say the sinner's prayer, I'll leave you as you are, but you'll be saved and then all that will be dealt with in eternity. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus wants to change our today as well as our tomorrow. So let's move on. Are we open to God for change today? You know, our issues are not the issues of the man in this passage. But we still struggle. All of us still struggle, don't we? We may be struggling today with a sin that just will not loosen its grip on us. And we need restoring. We need to have our dignity restored as Jesus frees us from that sin. We may bring harboring attitudes deep in our heart that are actually not becoming for somebody who is a follower of Jesus. We may be addicted to things that perhaps nobody knows about, but it's robbing us of human dignity. It's robbing us of freedom. It's chaining us to things that actually Jesus, the Son of God, wants to come and free us from. We see the more change we become, the less dignity we hold as a human being. We get tied up, and Jesus wants to come and break the chains. You look back how um, God created Adam and Eve. He created us for complete relationship with him. He created us to be free, to love, to laugh, to sing, to praise, to create, to do all the things that God can do, and to live in this amazing way in relationship with him. Now, in this world, we are in a battle. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We're in a battle. The battle this side of eternity will not be complete. But let's not keep pushing everything off. Let's allow God to work in our lives now, just as he did in this passage. The man in Luke 8, he didn't just need soteria, he needed sozo as well. He needed the complete ministry of the kingdom. So, what does it mean in our own lives? Well, life can be hard, can't it? Being a follower of Jesus is not always easy. But I believe, because Scripture says it, that the transformation that God can do in this life is, as Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, far more than we can ever ask for or imagine. You can't imagine things you can't imagine, but you get Paul's point. Beyond the kind of things we would think. If only we will come and sit at the feet of Jesus. If only we will bring ourselves as we are, come as you are, to the feet of Jesus and see what amazing things he will do to us. But the gospel is never just about us, is it? It's also about being sent and caring about the dignity of other people. Seeing people who, perhaps in this world, are lacking dignity and caring passionately about them. Now, I say this with with a little bit of trepidation, really. But, um, you know, as a minister who knows that God has now called me to do something else, it's not really my place to comment 
on what comes next in the life of the church. But I am going to risk saying something. So just bear with me for a minute. I'm saying it with broad brushstrokes. But it's very easy, you know, for you as a, as a church heading into a pastoral vacancy to suddenly go inward and to forget all this amazing stuff of the kingdom and start getting really panicky about who's going to be preaching, who's going to be doing this oversight of this team, that oversight, who's going to be chairing the church meetings and all these kind of things. And it is so easy. I've seen it. I've moderated for churches. I've seen churches in pastoral vacancy, some that do it really well and others that really struggle as they go inwards. Can I encourage you, don't be a church that starts looking inwards. Can I encourage you, rather than that, to totally support the leadership team. Get behind them. Over-support them if you need to. Give them buckets of grace. Buckets of grace. Keep giving grace. Thank preachers who are preaching. If you're not somebody who normally sends texts to thank people, start doing it. Start sending a text and just saying, thank you so much for giving your time and sharing with us today. Give loads of encouragement. Find ways of going out of your way to love one another and support one another. Why? Because when we do that, we can get on with the ministry of the kingdom. If as a church you go inward looking, you won't sort out the stuff inwardly, but you'll also miss out on the ministry of the kingdom that God calls you to do. Keep outward looking and you'll get both. The stuff of church will sort itself out. It always does. If we keep our eyes focused outwards, that kind of stuff is the stuff that really matters. When as church you care as Jesus did about human dignity, you care about the lost, you want to see them become the found, then actually what does that mean? It means you keep going. You have a passion for the gospel and a passion for the kingdom. I'm very aware that time is running away with me as well. So can I bring us back to this whole thing about human dignity? Can I just bring us back for a moment? I don't know where you're up to today. I don't know whether you're feeling that actually you're a bit broken and you need Jesus to just come and minister to you. I don't know whether you're feeling that you know other people who are broken and you just long to see them restored. If that's the case, share Jesus with them. He is the one who will do it. You won't, but Jesus will. But can I just encourage us, come and sit at the feet of Jesus who comes to bring this sozo wholeness and healing to our lives, who comes to restore, who doesn't come to condemn, and who comes to bring freedom from sin, from evil, from darkness, so that we can live both now and forever in his presence. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing again. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for what you did in the life of this man who was named as Legion. We don't know his real name. We don't know what happened to him after Luke records um, his journey, but we know that he met with you. We know that his life was turned upside down. We know that things happened to him that meant that his human dignity as an image bearer of God was restored. And Lord, I want to pray for each of us that today we would simply come and sit at your feet. That we would sit with hearts that are open, just longing to have you minister to us. But I want to pray as well that you would help us not just to think about ourselves but to look outwards and to see, as Jesus instructed this man to go, Lord, you call us to go as well. And so, Lord, would you give us a passion for those who are broken, those who, whether it's through evil, whether it's through sin, whatever it is, whose lives are bereft of dignity. And, Lord, we thank you that you, the light of the world, are the one who has stepped in to bring healing, to bring comfort, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring freedom for the prisoners and the captives, and to announce the year of the Lord's favor. So would you do that amongst us today? In Jesus' name, amen.